even though you might be successful in one channel or two, you're constantly changing new channels and testing your different creative, different offers, different marketing strategy and media strategy. Okay, welcome back to the Marketing Playbook presented by Details Interactive. Here you'll take away three game-winning marketing plays every episode to take back to your team. I'm your host, Mark Friedman, and my career has been focused on direct-to-consumer marketing, direct mail, physical retail, and digital commerce. This is episode number 48, and today's guest is Tom Shipley. Tom is a serial entrepreneur, e-commerce investor, and strategic advisor. He offers us some great insight into his background, his success, and his game plan for the future. Before we get started, a quick thank you as always to Max Branstetter of the Wild Business Growth Podcast for producing this episode. You can reach him at max at maxpodcasting.com to help bring your podcast to life. Let's open the playbook. Ready, break. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining the Marketing Playbook Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Tom Shipley. Tom is a serial entrepreneur, e-commerce investor, strategic advisor, speaker, and over the past 20 years has become one of the leading experts in omnichannel brand building. Tom's brands have sold over $2 billion through direct-to-consumer marketing and retail. His brands are widely recognized household names that can be seen on TV, radio, and online, and found in major retailers like Costco, Ulta, CVS, Nordstrom's, HSN, and many more. Tom is now the president and co-founder of Foundry Brands, a private equity-backed omni-digital brand aggregator that buys, grows, and scales D2C and Amazon e-commerce brands. Tom, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Well, uh, thanks for making the time. Uh, we are uh, recording this in, in mid-November. Uh, how are you and your family doing? Fortunately, everyone's well. Uh, well. Um, I still have one daughter in New York and my other daughter's here in, uh, down here in Austin. Things are evolving um, and, and getting a higher sense of normalcy, more than I've seen since the outbreak of the pandemic. Uh, we like to get these, these shows started, uh, giving the audience uh, some perspective on your background. It's, it's always uh, so interesting how people grow up, uh, oftentimes foreshadows the kinds of business, the kinds of work, the way they think you know, in their adult life. So m maybe give us some background. Yeah, sure. It's really interesting. You said, you know, you, where does someone start and where the origin comes in? And I'm going to say that I have to attribute this to um, my father, my grandfather, who are entrepreneurs. And when I actually graduated and I went to work for AT&T, I was like the black sheep of the family. It's like did not understand why I would work for a Fortune, a Fortune 100 company and how that would work. And, and so, you know, this this entrepreneurial archetype is something that's in my DNA and was natural. But I'm going to say that most of the greatest lessons I learned in being an entrepreneur and how to build successful businesses, I learned in the Israeli special forces. Wow. Well, we'll, we'll talk about the, uh, well, maybe let's talk about it now. So um, when was that in your life uh, where you joined? Yeah. So just a quick perspective is I grew up between Cleveland, Ohio and, and Orlando, Florida, um, I was at Florida State University when I decided to um, make a major shift in what I felt was making a contribution to the world and to the state of Israel and Jewish people. I moved to Israel at the age of 20, 
not really speaking the language, not the greatest athlete in the world, but with a clear focus and passion. And I, um, I remember I went home from to Florida State, from Florida State to my home in Orlando, sat down with my mom and my 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 mother, and my father, and I said, "I'm moving to Israel. I'm joining the Israeli army." And there weren't great supporters of that idea at that time. And my father said to me, if you were in the army, Tom, you would be a bureaucrat pushing paper. If you tell that to a 21 year old, the answer is I'll show you. So anyways, um, moved to Israel um, and I had this vision as the more I learned about the army, the more I learned about combat unit, the more I learned about special forces. I found one specific unit, which was really dedicated to saving lives um, through pararescue and, and through airborne rescue. And um, I had this vision of myself getting into this unit and just the quick math goes 170,000 people in the army, 60,000 soldiers in combat roles, uh, about 10,000 people try to get into my unit. Um, after a series of batteries of tests, they whittle it down to a thousand, go through a week of um, hell week. Out of that, they pick 25 of us to go through an 18 month course and 18 months later, there are 13 of us. So that's kind of it, but it, it goes back to um, that core vision and really focusing on who I am, regardless of the data that says you cannot succeed as an entrepreneur, it's the same thing. After I got out of the army, I came back to the States to get my education, met my wife within uh, a few weeks, started my first business almost immediately, and then it became a progression. Um, my weaknesses in business, I'm a marketer and merchant and an entrepreneur, that's why I'm at my core. I did not understand or appreciate the operations, the systems, the analytics in businesses, and I get frustrated at weaknesses. So I end up getting a bachelor's and master's in industrial engineering. Now, Mark, you know this better than, than anyone is that it turned out that that science of the analytics, statistics, process flows turned out to be the perfect foundation for a my my spent my my lifetime in direct consumer marketing, because that's, you know, it's, it's an art and a science and processes and analytics, and that created the foundation. And as I launched my first business, I'm going to say my first significant business in uh, uh, 1999, which was the T. Shipley catalog. We, it's e-com store catalog. Those were incredible days that you were part of as far as the, um, the very beginning of email marketing and Google AdWords. And again, it's really exciting time. But again, for us, it was omni-digital across all platforms, being agnostic as far as what channel, as long as we're buying underpriced attention, scaling that business through a B2C and, 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 and D2C, D2C and, and B2B business model. And inevitably, I did some acquisitions along the way, sold that business off, and 15 years ago focused on getting into what I viewed as how can we take our playbook? How can I take my playbook of what I learned at T. Shipley and apply it for another industry and transform that industry? And that was beauty. And that's all we did is we took the playbook, we applied it towards um, Hydroxytone, our first brand, which went from 1 million to 15 million to 150 million in revenue year by year. And that was our core brand. And it was just across multiple channels. Then it was uh, Karenique identifying a a blue ocean opportunity in women's hair regrowth. And then it was Christy Brinkley Beauty and a number of brands. And we exited, we sold that business out to private equity. We actually closed in June of this year. 
Well, you, you make it sound all so easy and um, it was great. I just had to tee you up and you took me through half the interview. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's good, but I have lots of questions for you. Uh, first Absolutely. of all, congratulations on, on some outstanding things, you know, in your career when I was doing the research and, and I, I should tell the, the listeners, I met you um, once um, I came to interview with you probably um, around 2000, you know, late nineties or so you, um, 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 you had done the, the beauty business, you had exited uh, T. Shipley. But I knew of T. Shipley simply because I had been in the catalog space and we were probably you know, renting names from you or exchanging names from you. Uh, we were, I was working at Hanover Direct at the time and we were in uh, New Jersey. And where was your office um, when you had Atlantic Coast? We were in Orlando. Uh, Atlantic Coast was in Jersey City. Jersey City. Okay. So that, that's where I came to visit. And, you know, it was such an interesting uh, uh, business. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about it. As I was, you know, doing some more research, there's a quote that you've uh, put out. It's never a problem of lack of resources. The problem's always a lack of resourcefulness. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. And it's the most powerful thing. Um, one of the more powerful things I've learned along the way. And I've been in many situations where Everyone around me, including my board, said, you're done. There's nothing you can do. And somehow as entrepreneurs, you find your way if you don't give up. And so it, you know, whether it's capital or any, anywhere else, and I can't tell you, I'm going to say that um, Drew and I started Atlantic Coast Brands. We started it in an attic in Madison, Sabbath, Virginia. We, um, outside Richmond, we had invested unlike we told our wives we wouldn't do, we invested everything into Atlantic Coast brands and including selling our cars to generate a little bit of cash flow. And so, but we burned through all the cash, but we had the, the metrics were very strong on our hydroxone brand, but it just took significant cash, uh, cash flow to do that. So there's different ways to grow a, grow a business. So one of the things we did is we found a um, great business in Hoboken, New Jersey that was generating um, it had uh, 10 million revenues. It had one and a half million dollars of, of EBITDA and a young couple who had built it over the years were open when we started working with them to selling their business. And so we ended up acquiring the business. Remember, we had no cash at the time, but we were able to leverage and get debt through a mezzanine lender and buy that business, which gave us systems infrastructure processes and cash flow. And then when we put Karenik onto it, it was like a rocket ship that just exploded. And again, it's we didn't, if we went out to say, hey, who's going to give us money or try to raise monies for hydroxetone, an early stage business, it would have been difficult and that wouldn't have been enough. And I'm, you know, I, I've learned as much, I'm going to say, unfortunately, we learn more from our failures than we do our successes and our challenges. And there are lost opportunities. If I look back when I teach Shipley and we had struggled grow, uh, some struggles um, growing and cash flow and raising money because it's very capital intensive business in the catalog business. I was so focused and our team was so focused on the B2C side of our business, which was briefcase, SS, everything a business professional wanted to, how we can optimize, whether it's the hero products, how we can op optimize our, our, our marketing and our circulation strategy. And we had this nice incremental revenue source, which was our B2B side of the business, where our average order went from $150 to uh, $1,500. And I'm going to say what I was so focused on climbing this wall, I didn't really recognize at that point is the solution was to really be great at outbounding and mining our data to go after our B2B clients and looking at our 
consumer business as a lead gen funnel that's profitable and a wonderful consumer business, but the real cash and the real profits in the end. So again, if I can, Mark, just segue into a great book. I, um, I don't know if you've ever read U Squared. No, I haven't. It's a book that will take you in all, I don't know, it's 35 pages. It's a very small book, but it, it's very powerful. It's about conceptual, conceptual blockbusting. How can you really think differently about things? And uh, Price Pritchett talks about, do you ever see a fly come in a little bit of an open window and comes in and then it starts going for the light, which is against the glass window? And it'll bang, bang, bang against that glass window over and over again. It's driving you nuts and it goes bang. And eventually, over a period of time, it'll lose energy and drop down and then get more energy and try again and try again. Pretty soon it dies. When really all the flying had to do was just to go look to the right and go out the original opening it came in from. So I talk about this, this white knuckling sometimes. Sometimes we're focused on what we think is the obvious. And really the answer is just a little bit to the right in the T. Shipley case, what would have been exponential growth is our B2B business. And I'm going to say what for us in this business, it was an M&A transaction that changed things. And so many times it was about focusing on the high impact, low resources activity with a high probability of success and focus on that and not the shiny thing that we're all attracted to or that we're comfortable, the club that we're comfortable swinging. Yeah, we all seem to be. I, I ask a question oftentimes, you know, about the shiny object syndrome, you know, especially from a technical uh, technology perspective, you know, businesses that are running, um, you know, an e-commerce site, you know, they, and oftentimes it's not only entrepreneurs, it's, it's people that are in roles like me, you know, the next most interesting thing, that shiny object distracts you from what is really core and most important to running the business. So after T. Shipley, and, and it's interesting because uh, you talk a lot about how you traded services to get the cash that you needed for T. Shipley, and it sounds like there was a, you know, a bunch of that at Atlantic Coast as well. Um, so it's, it, you, you seem to have no fear to leverage the currency that you have for what you really need. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, and a lot of times people think the only way to start a business is to go out and raise money. And from our, my perspective, if you can do it without it, it's really ideal. And um, in most cases, it makes sense. So with, you're right, with T. Shipley, it was, I was doing consulting and I traded um, really my, uh, one of my clients had a building that was half empty. It was for offices and for his using his fulfillment center. So I traded my services until it just didn't make sense anymore for him. But by that point, we were, we were, we were doing well and cash flow positive and gonna afford to pay rent. Um, Drew and I did this when we launched Atlantic Coast Brands is we, this client that we ended up buying or this company we ended up buying, we actually met them and we're actually doing marketing services for them and generated cash flow and creates opportunity. And so you have to be resourceful in identifying all the different collateral that you have in order to make those incremental dollars to make it successful. And it could be at the very beginning or it could be somewhere along the process also and create multiple revenue streams for your business. You know, so much has changed in the, in the period of time, even from when you started uh, ACB till, you know, 
even when you ended your your reign there, your 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 work there, um, from building brand equity. How has with the advent of digital and so many additional channels to talk to consumers, did it make it easier to build brand equity? Did it make it harder because there was so much more clutter and everything was so diffused? How did you think about that? I think it's easier. It's significant easier. And again, if you're a strong marketer, which is all about, I'm going to say, first of all, it's always your offer and always the product and quality product. It has to be there to begin with if you want to build a sustainable long-term brand. But then it's the hook story offer and just great marketing is great marketing. And the internet does it, uh, gives you the opportunity to test and fail fast and find out data points. It's a lot more expensive for us to do this in radio, TV, catalog, it really doesn't matter, off, you know, um, off online channels. And I think that that's great. And while, the, you know, yes, it is challenging to work with marketers that have no, their morality line is very much on the sides and they don't mind a lot of black hack techniques. It's tough to compete, but the world changes. And I found that if you're just smart marketers, you focus on your customer base and you focus on building a, a fan community, you can build an authentic brand. And then Mark, based on your background, you know this is once you have the foundation of a good brand, then that's where experienced marketers come in and we know how to scale. Because you've been in the direct-to-consumer space for so long, obviously one of the, the main tenants is uh, a, along with rebuy rate and retention, it's cost of acquisition. And as the channels have changed, how have you seen cost to acquire new customers change? Okay, it's a really good question. And I'm going to, um, there are ebbs and flows and cycles, but I'm also going to say that channels change. And as, as there's always new opportunities and new channels popping up, and I'm going to share this that at one time we were the, you know, from Atlantic Brands, we were the, we were in the largest print advertiser in the United States. We were the second largest print advertiser in Parade Magazine. Fast forward four years later, we did no print advertising. At one time, we were the third largest short-form radio advertiser in the United States. I think that was somewhere about 2010. Fast forward 2015, we no longer did, print ab- or did radio advertising, short-form radio. Same thing TV. We were the 15th largest TV advertiser 2011. Fast forward six years later, I think we had shut down our short-form business and focused on long-form. So again, it's, it's one of these things. And, and online, we see this, in, in, uh, this really interesting trend that's happening is... Um, we see this from a Facebook perspective. Facebook has changed drastically. Those that are involved with online marketing know that the impact of iOS 14 and tracking has been significant. And even if you have great attribution tools, it still makes it dis- very difficult. And my unscientific, unproven belief is also that to make up for the sum of the revenue shortfall, Facebook has also increased their cost internally to try to make up for that. And therefore, what we've seen is CPC's uh, cost per clicks are up. I've seen them up as much as 5X. So trying to get in the rel and conversion is you're struggling because the modeling is not as good as it used to be and the targeting. So it's, so Facebook cost is basically direct for most businesses have gone up so high that for many businesses, it's not an effective channel. But those same marketers that they're really good, I've seen them switch into TikTok and, be, and now finally I'm seeing some real traction where uh, what you can do, there's Reddit, there's a lot of other channels that are out there. And the question is, is, the thing is, if you're a good marketer is, even though you might be successful in one channel or two, you're constantly changing new channels and testing your different creative, different offers, different marketing strategy and media strategy in order to 
one, grow your current business, but two is always be ready for the other shoe to fall because over time, all channels will become ineffective. And it, it, do you find it interesting uh, that so many of the digital brands, you know, digital first and, and native brands uh, eventually uh, adopt some form of direct mail to speak to their customers? <laughs> and that's exactly it. It's still, I mean, it's not as effective as it was at one time, but it's still effective. And, it, and that's why even right now, a lot of marketers are looking at um, even TV and are even stepping into TV. Um, and primarily short form TV, long form is too expensive, but short form TV, but if they have really good attribution modeling, and that's been a significant change, the attribution modeling tool and really understand the multiple multi-touch attribution that you can do and how to maximize your lifetime value. That's really where the significant um, opportunity is. I, I don't know. There's so many changes that are going on, Mark. The level of tools that are out there from SMS marketing, push marketing, uh, email is still the bedrock of, it should be of every marketer. And even though I've heard the death of email marketing is coming, I've seen that. And then I'm also seeing um, significant pushback against certain levels of automation. And if you were going to talk about that, there's some good case case studies that are out there. Interesting. When when you were uh, involved with, with ACB, did you play on Amazon? The answer at the end, we did. And originally we were very conservative because our retailers told us that if we go into Amazon, they're going to pull us from their business. And whether that was true or not, we, so in the end, I think in 2016, we developed a relationship through a reseller and they were our authorized reseller, which means our margins from Amazon were tight because they were a reseller. They didn't have the deep margins in order to do um, a lot of, to do advertising. So the business was relatively small, under $2 million for Karen Eat brand. But the first year that we took it over and brought it in-house, when we said, well, the world has changed, let's bring it in-house, we grew that business to an $8 million business, and this year it's going to do $10 million. So, and again, so Amazon is a wonderful, it's a wonderful marketplace. It's a wonderful playground for, uh, for great uh, direct consumer marketers. I'm going to say that that's changing. It's not as easy as it was four or five years ago or even three years ago because of a lot of the... Um, the rising cost of Amazon PPC, the increase um, um, regulations that Amazon has put in their, their terms and service, but still it's a beautiful platform where Amazon does a lot of the heavy lifting for you. Do you have a direct-to-consumer business? I enjoy connecting with guests on this podcast because it reminds me what I love to do, strategic and tactical consulting for businesses like yours. If you'd like to speak with me about your business and see how you can add a fresh set of eyes to your team, contact me at mark at detailsinteractive.com. Now let's get back to the marketing playbook. So let's talk a little bit about Tom, uh, Tom, the entrepreneur. Um, oftentimes entrepreneurs are great idea guys, great innovator people, but when it comes to operations and management of employees and, and dealing with mentoring and, and you know, growing individuals, sometimes they struggle. How would you classify yourself? Early on, I was moving fast strategy guy and that was my and 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 creating new businesses was really my passion and where i naturally uh leaned into but over the last 25 years the focus has been build the rest up so i spent uh, again my degrees in industri industrial engineering and 
a lot of work in operations and always being forced to jump back into that and the systems infrastructure analytics and setting up, uh, I was responsible at Atlantica's brands for setting up everything from the financial systems to the IT systems, as well as the marketing infrastructure, because that's the only way to scale a business. So um, you just have to go slow to go fast, period. And over and over again, if you get to um, too much ahead of your skis, you're going to blow your business up. From a people perspective, I was very lucky that when I was doing um, consulting, when I left AT&T, I was um, one of the, my uh, consulting partners that was out there was focused on organization development. And he, one of his clients was Disney. And the first thing we did when we went in any company to do consulting was we did work on strategy and people. Because ultimately, a great culture will trump a brilliant strategy all day and all night. A bad culture will crush most businesses. And, and I'm going to say, and I say bad, a dysfunctional culture. We can break that down a little bit. Uh, you know, you can have a very effective culture that are full of sharp elbows. And what I mean, just uh, tough environment, but, uh, but Amazon. Tough environment, but there's tenants and consistencies of what you can expect in that environment. So those people that can thrive within Amazon thrive, and it's an incredible business. And you get other businesses that are the place that you will love to walk into every day because you, you're appreciated, you're valued, you're heard, and you can really, and, and it seems those organizations seem to get the most out of every employee. Where I'm, I wear lean heavily now, it's about people and running teams and creating that safe environment of trust that people, and then, but people also need tight clarity. They need goals. People want to have, be able to accomplish things, great things. And that's where leaders, you give people focus, clarity of goals, give them the tools um, and give them that environment for success. And you can create some great things. Good call out on, on the goals. So, you know, uh, we'll talk about Foundry Brands in a second, but, you know, because you are so involved in, in looking at companies and seeing deals, and we talked a little bit about the shiny object uh, syndrome, what tech is out there that's innovative right now that direct marketers, whether it be through paper or through digital, what should they be looking at that's actually going to help them propel their businesses? You know, the beautiful thing, contrary to when we when we started, Mark, where if you want a technology, you built it and you had no choice on it. Right now, for most things you went done, you want done, you can use SaaS, you can use SaaS applications. So looking at your core marketing, I always start for from this is forget about the technology. What do you want to get done and why are you doing this? So example is where's the, you know, looking at your, um, as I do a two by two grip on impact versus, uh, versus resources. So understanding uh, those things that are high impact, what, what tools are out there that can help me accelerate it. So we're talking about um, website and we're talking about funnels. The first thing I always go to is how can you increase the profitability from any company? Number one is you increase average order size, you increase rebuy, you increase rebuy rate and, 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 and frequency, you 5% increase in all those parameters will increase your profit by 40% in most e-com businesses. So the first thing I focus on is funnels. So there's a lot of tools out there for helping you with upsells and cross-sells in it and A-B testing. Right now with media, attribution is everything. There are some lower cost, semi-effective tools that are out there. And then there are higher costs and whether you're talking about high or you're talking about higher cost attribution modeling like Rockerbox that are phenomenal and, and that you can apply to that so you can end spending more on your media. But 
And that's why I'm really excited about the technology that's out there that's accessible to you. And as I mentioned, automation tools, um, attentive, things like that for SMS marketing, or that do basically can bring together all your marketing are great that are out there. Yeah, I usually give a shout out to Attentive when it comes up. My daughter works there as a recruiter and uh, you know, I've implemented it a number of different stops. But you know, it's a perfect example of the kind of thing off the shelf that you can go. They are subject matter experts. It's relatively easy to implement and and you're right. I think back to my days in, in various catalog businesses and you know, used to have to go to the, the ERP IT department and they were cranking you know, code on a mainframe and um, it was impossible to get anything done. And, and Mark, the other thing that you can pay for access or work for access into the information knowledge you want. For example, I'm part of a several different masterminds and I'm going to say the learning that I did and the network is so significant. So when I have an issue or problem, I'll find people that have actually implemented, had that problem implemented if we're talking about technology and find out did, or, or agencies, it really doesn't matter. And does it work? What are the pros? What are the cons? What do I need to be successful? And so you can pay for access to masterminds that have high level people in it. There's a lot of Facebook groups out there. Some of them have a little bit of gated, whether it's, um, um, again, that, that, are, that are gated, have a hiring community to it, um, such as AdLeaks for media buying. It really doesn't matter that you can get to some great experts and get online feedback. And I do this is when I'm looking for a tool or an agency, I just have to post about it and I'll get 20 or 30 recommendations. I'll reach out and get the real deal. Understanding some of it is absolutely crap and you don't, you know, the, the advice and people are going from hearsay and other people have hands-on experience at significant scale. Yeah, you can get a lot of information really quickly, especially you know if you've got a network like you do. Uh, that's awesome. So let's let's jump to Foundry Brands. Uh, what was the uh, the the impetus of developing that business, and and what is your core tenant? Yeah, it's interesting. It started with COVID and um, being at home and saving three hours a day on a commute. Our office is in Jersey City. I lived in Northern Bergen County, so I'm going to say that was great. And with a little bit of, and Drew and I knew we were going to sell the business at some point. We knew that the, the, the market would come back, the cash would be available. But again, this is the early days. So looking for other, what was going to be my future or other streams of income. And then there's part of that entrepreneurial nature with inside of me that I couldn't help myself. So it started with uh, me looking to invest in or partner with businesses to grow their businesses and then saying, well, I'd like to acquire some businesses. Well, one, I roll up some businesses, econ businesses, and then it was the rolling up of Amazon business. And the original scope was fairly small as, you know, multiples were low. It didn't cost that much to acquire Amazon businesses. When I was a month into this, I discovered Thrasio had just um, received a $750 million valuation based on, and even though most of it was venture debt money, Part of it was venture money, and uh, they had raised, I think, a couple, 170 million at that period of time. Most of it was debt, but they had raised that. And but that meant to me that suddenly, where private equity, venture, and debt were afraid to invest in Amazon businesses, it was very difficult. The glass ceiling was just broken, and broken. And I recognized that capital would be available. And then I do what I couldn't help myself is I had a zero onto the concept and then another zero onto the concept. And just to understand what is the opportunity, what would be the big vision? In this case, instead of just doing a roll-up of, of Amazon and ultimately e-com businesses, what is the future? To me, the future and the big picture and the big idea is 
building the leading omni-digital CPG company. One of the challenges that we see with Church and Dwight, Procter and Gamble, L'Oreal, Estee Lauder is their loyalty has to be to their number one biggest clients, which is retail. And therefore their systems, infrastructure, people training is based off of that. And the digital is a second channel for them. But if you build your whole systems and infrastructure and philosophy about catering to working one-on-one -on -one with your consumers, and basically that's who your ultimate customer is, and building your digital systems first, that's omni, that basically you're, um, you're, you're channel agnostic on that, but you're really focused on the digital piece, you can create a superior business model if you're in it for the long term. And there's an, a wonderful opportunity to buy businesses, a lower multiples, you group them together, you get, um, uh, you have economies of scale. So there's a lot of power that are in there um, in order to, to run businesses, especially Amazon businesses where, um, where, where Amazon does most of the heavy list, lifting. And therefore, when I went out in September and I met with uh, seven different private equity terms, I received six term sheets between 50 to $150 million. And so again, it was where usually capital raising is extremely difficult, but timing is a big piece to it. And it was, I, I knew from the very beginning when we started going down this avenue that the timing was right, was only going to get better throughout 2020. So how many companies have you rolled up uh, at this point? So we've been, uh, we've, we've deliberately gone slow to go fast as we've have we acquired a handful of businesses. And um, because we're building the systems infrastructure and building, scaling the team. And there's also something we're seeing in the marketplace that valuations are shifting fast and they will, and to our betterment, they went drastically up. And now we're seeing there's gonna be some leveling off some, and slight declines. So there's gonna be significant opportunistic buys in the marketplace, especially with what I predict is 40% of aggregators there's 75 total and $5 billion out there. There's, I predict 40% over the next nine months will go out of business. And based on that, there'll be a lot of opportunistic buys. And so that's what we're doing. We're, we have a number of term sheets that are out there. But something, Mark, that you and I haven't talked about is, um, is my shift. And that is, is I, raised the, I was able to raise the $100 million um, to, to launch Foundry able to, you know, we, we put together, you know, uh, myself was along the journey, brought together some incredible co-founders with the business and we're able to hire a C-suite, bring in an extremely talented CEO, one of the brightest women I've met. Helen is great that I believe has the ability to, if we decide to go public at some point, she's the person that can do it. And so with the team together, with the strategy in place, there are a lot of great operators that are out there. So I had a discussion with my private equity partners that we set it up this way. And so I actually, three weeks ago, am on to my next big venture as far as what is that disruptive, uh, disruptive opportunity that's out there where my team is crushing it with Foundry. Okay. So uh, is that still stealth at the moment, what you're going to be doing? The answer is it's not stealth because I don't know, because I promised I did a conversation with our chairman and he said, Tom, do me a favor. He said, be patient. Don't make any commitments for at least 60 to 90 days. And so I'm looking at a lot of interesting opportunities from uh, SaaS, different marketplaces, e-com roll-up, agency roll-ups, virtual mergers. So there's a lot of really interesting that goes on there. I'm going to say that you even look at, if I want to push my 
do something that you should not do, which is go into something different that you have no background in. But as a marketer, sometimes in entrepreneur, we can't help ourselves. Um, we're looking at, I'm looking at, looking at the NFT marketplace and I'm not going out there buying llamas and pictures of hippos because I think that it's going to be the one that I'm going to get a thousand X return on my investment. I'm looking for the third, the second or third order impact. I, I don't know if your listeners are familiar with the third order impact and the concepts and let's go back to, um, and, and the greatest example or a really good example I know that is with Henry Ford. Henry Ford had this brilliant idea, the Model T, let me put on mass production. Now suddenly he was manufacturing and mass production of automobiles. Great, he created the automobile, a real automobile industry, first order impact. The second order happened where people had this freedom. He gave American freedom, Americans freedom. They started driving further and further away. So what happened is gas, a chains of gas stations started building, growing nationwide. And that was more a logical thing that someone could have predicted. Oh, we're going to have to have this little standard oil and all the, all the automobile companies will be building or the gas companies will be building uh, gas stations and chains them throughout the United States. But what happened is as Americans traveled further and further, they started staying at boarding houses. But it was tough to find boarding houses and there wasn't internet and there wasn't enough of them out there. So that's where the first motel chains were created. And that created the foundation for the hotel and motel industry as we know it then. No one could have, it was tough to predict that Henry Ford's invention and mass production would lead to it. That's a third order impact. So now we have this explosion with blockchain, NFTs, new marketplaces that are out there. So trying to sit and think and talk to some very smart people is, what are the real opportunities? Is it simple second order impact? The fact that we see that there are two to three major players that are controlling the marketplaces or have 95% share of the marketplaces. But if we know from history, everything goes to niche. So there'll be a marketplaces for art. There'll be a marketplace for, or for copy. There's a mean market races, marketplace specifically for um, um, social media handles. And again, we're seeing some different permutation of it and so I, that's what I see. So do I want to launch one or more marketplaces that are really niche specific and use really what we know, which is our marketing skills in order to create the brands that people will know in those industries firsthand and be logical to. So we're controlling the market, we're controlling the marketplace and making money on every transaction. I don't know. So the answer is I'm looking at some really interesting thing. This is uh, the first time in my life that I haven't launched my next business prior to winding down or selling off my, 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 my prior ones. So it's an exciting period of time. And I have a lot of deal flow that I'm looking at. I'm looking at a lot of acquisitions, investments that are coming in. So I'm open. Well, uh, fascinating that your entire life, uh, you know, you're, you look very happy. You look all smiles and, and obviously our listeners won't see that, but you look very, uh, very happy. So look, thank you very much for doing this uh, really interesting story. Um, I will check in with you uh, from time to time and see, you know, what direction you head. And certainly if I can be of any help uh, along the way, uh, feel free to reach out. Okay, sure. Well, I appreciate it, Mark. That's it. Today's game ball goes to Tom Shipley for coming on the marketing playbook. To me, today's three game-winning marketing plays were as follows. Number one, we spoke about culture. Tom's take is that a great culture will be more important than a great strategy. Dysfunctional cultures will crush a good business. As a business leader, it's your job to help craft and steer the culture in your business. Be consistent, and although you might have created a demanding environment, apply the rules consistently throughout the business. Number two, 
conceptual blockbusting. Another way of saying, how can you be guiding your team and others around you to think differently? Be that change maker, because if you're not changing, you're falling behind. And number three, Tom has had a remarkable life and career, and he's found ways to use the currency available to him at a moment in time to drive his business. That currency is not always cash. It sometimes could be your own knowledge and sweat equity. Leverage whatever's available to you to achieve your goals. Thank you, Playbook Marketers, for listening to another episode. If you want to check out more pages of the Marketing Playbook, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast spot and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Details Interact and learn more at DetailsInteractive.com. Until next time, the devil is in the details. (laughs) 